Okay. Well, hi, I am Leo. Uh, I live in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and I, together with Anaïta Tsurion, I'm one of the editors of Kortrijk IS, the last IS uh, at this point in time that has happened. What is victorious? I, I'm, I'm out oh, of honey, touch with no. all the youth. Like, I feel like you have this doomed generation in between like the, the true mil- millennial people that kind of grew up normal. And then we have these people like me who are in the middle, you know, and then you have Gen Z. But there's kind of a weird gap in the middle where you're still kind of vibing with the whole the 2000 shit. But you only had like a phone when you were like 14. So it was like all cool and new. Uh, and in this time period, you had Victorious, a so- show about like, you know, a girl going to a high school where you, they do musical singing. And it was super the shit, but I think they made like one or two seasons of it and then the whole cast got like beef and then they stopped making it. But yeah, I think it kind of uh, has that weird vibe of like not really 2000s, but also not the Gen Z bullshit afterwards. (laughs) I mean, Joel's really into like high school musical stuff anyway, so maybe you may want to give that a watch. Mm -hmm. I mean, basically, basically that. I, I feel like, you know, hanging out with Joe, like every other minute is just going to burst into some kind of song and then monologue in that kind of way. And then, you know, we kind of like do some kind of chore- choreography together and then continue the day that way. It, it feels, you know, when you start to watch this kind of high school musical stuff, you're like, oh, my God, finally, a show that represents how life actually happens. Like I can I can now relate to this shit. Yes. I love that for Joel. I, I will avenge this when I come to London next week. I will actually do that just to fuck with you. <laughs> uh, no, of course. This is what happens on your secret island murky trips. <laughs> just song and dance. <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah. But then again, like, I, I kind of feel like that is also the, the, the EYP vibe of you go to a session, you go, yeah, we're going to go with serious people and talk about politics and stuff. And then we start singing Alele and, oh my God, I've actually forgotten most of the songs, but <laughs> Big Fat Pony and stuff like this. But then, you know, I feel like these songs, we need to start bursting them into actual contemporary narratives. I think Jeroen did, honestly. And he was doing Alele in Kortrijk because we were waiting for lunch and it was not ready and the organizers were like, stall them, stall them. And... I think all of the organizers were gone because they had way too little organizers and all of the chairs were kind of, I think, doing something else. I don't know. They were, and then we were just there with like a few media team members and like editor and editor assistant. And then like one organizer, Samir, who was still there. And then a random delegate that pretended to be an organizer because he wanted to lead a song as well. And I didn't know if he was an organizer or not. He just stood there with us. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe he's new because there were some organizers that came throughout the week that were like later. So I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever. And then Jeroen was like, let's do Alele. But he just made like a whole theatrical piece out of it. It was great. And then nice. afterwards I discovered it was delicate and we were like, what? EYP is trying to be a center of attention? What? No. My God. <laughs> uh... Fortunately, we don't create a space that actually values this kind of behavior and you know really incentivizes it on every front yeah it's really interesting like i i end up like i feel like a lot of sessions have that one delegate that is just really off the line of everything that's supposed to be happening and then it's like half of the officials team is really gonna wipe that delegate because they really like that kind of attention whore 
and then, then the rest of them are just going to be really annoyed. And it's a really interesting mix then seeing how that develops afterwards because I've seen it so many times that that delegate gets just like basically invited to like chair and VP stuff afterwards because part of the academic team love their vibe or something. As it's like, yeah. this, this, this is exactly how we value that shit. It's, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> I think it walks the line. Like you have those delegates that are kind of like, you know, really extra, but in a good way. And then this one was just a little more like, he knows he's not supposed to be involved, but he does anyway. Like if you have like a media team group hug, he will join in the group hug and be like, oh my God, guys, such an emotional day today. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. You know, it was a little bit far, you know, like a little bit on your nerves. And then if you do that, like the whole day, you would be like, yeah, no. So I think more people would be like looking at his application and going, mm, mm, no. <laughs> uh, do you remember, Joe, in, uh, in, in, for the Yerevan IS, in, in the build up to the, to the IS, that we had this, I don't know if it was a Facebook group or a Discord, or we had some kind of like social media platform that we were using to be able to like chat through and ask information and all this kind of stuff. And I think there were some delegates who are asking, okay, um, in terms of logistics, we'll be arriving here and is there this and is there that? Are there gonna be towels in the hotel and like this kind of stuff? And then there's this one other person who just goes on there and starts replying and it's like, okay, so looking at it and doing the research, I think it's gonna be like this, I think it's gonna be this. And from my understanding, kind of answering people's questions and then ending with, but hey, I'm a delegate, so what do I know? yes this was beautiful <laughs> doing the work taking on the role of organizer as a delegate and then just ending it with hey i'm a delegate fucking just just disregard everything i said what do i know <laughs> <laughs> and it kind of became a motto <laughs> yeah i mean yeah that's that's a good way to do it like if you feel like you have too much free time just like do that chip i also acknowledge that you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> that people shouldn't at least be taking your word for face value. <laughs> I wonder how that delegate was at the session itself. Yes, delegate. Huh? Yeah, I have no idea. You have to ask his chair. Or oh, you mean the delegate from uh, Discord? Yeah. <laughs> from Yerevan. Well, I because I remember I because I I built my like um, opening ceremony speech around him, <laughs> around that delegate, and around like this kind of like idea and stuff like that. And then I think. Yeah, I remember, uh, I don't remember that delegate being a dick or anything like that throughout the session, but I do remember some positivity and some like, it was it was in a very kind of constructive way that that person would be trying to help out on different things. Because like you said, you know, there's also the acknowledgement of, yeah, you know, this isn't really my role, but hey, I'm just trying to help. Yeah, but that's really cute. Like, I would appreciate that. That's like <clears throat> Yeah, and like... The, what you're describing like with with the delegate who kind of tries to be an official in that kind of sense and kind of dives in that's still a lot better than what we used to have back in the day because in in 2012 for example i was in a session in romania and we had this rule which was every official got to bring their favorite delegate to the officials party oh no that's horrible (laughs) also did the golden rule exist like what is this like sadie hawkins mess like oh no like that, 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 there was no golden rule there, and it, it wasn't just that there was no golden rule. We were told explicitly that the golden rule didn't apply, 
We are told by the, by the at the time, head of UIP Romania that the golden rule didn't apply. And even during the farewell party, she stopped the party at 10 o'clock for people to go back home because she said people are going to want to use the hotel rooms. Yeah, this is not at all creepy. <laughs> no. At one point, I think I, I couldn't go into my room. I wanted to go into my room because um, I was sharing a room with her. And I, I was like a I was media team member slash co-chair. And my, I was co-chairing with the president who applied to be as a media team member. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, a, bit, it was a bit different. <laughs> it was a bit of a mess. And, uh, and I think at one point, yeah, I couldn't go into my room because that media team member had brought two delegates to the room. Two? Yeah. So yeah, I was okay. like, no, I can't use that room. I have to go somewhere else. And Why just, stop the two at that point, you know? Bring <laughs> like, my whole committee, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and inclusivity and diversity. Um. <laughs> but the, the the problem is with, with those kind of situations. There is when you have the when it's a norm that this stuff here is okay, then it just becomes ridiculous. Like I I never questioned any of that stuff while being there, and I remember the delegate I would always bring to to the parties was this delegate called Bogdan. And I remember all the horrific stories he used to tell us and stuff. And one of them is just still etched in my mind. And I think is even too, too much to like add in this podcast. But no. like, like, no. like just, but then like, yeah, just like bring him into the, uh, into the officials parties and delegate would also definitely have to bring alcohol to help supply the parties. And yeah, it, it was just like, it was just the norm of what you would do. This feels okay. like a very like junior, senior, you know, American movie trope where you're like, you bring the, you know, cute new girl to the party and you're like, well, you're going to bring vodka, right? Or something like that. And then they're like peer pressured into like drinking and showing up and like the whole story. <laughs> Literally, it was like that. And so that's the thing, like when when some people start to complain about how EYP is becoming oversensitive or how EYP is, I know back in the day we used to not sleep and we used to learn more and we used to do much more and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, no, <laughs> back in the day it was fucking horrible. <laughs> the fact that, you know, we lived in this that kind of space was only advantageous to a very tiny percentage of the population there and definitely did not create a safe space for anyone to develop or to flourish or to be themselves, but just wear this horrible mask of whatever this culture was trying to impose. It was kind of shit back then. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of youth organizations that function like that these days even. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like, uh, another one, so I'm also part of like Trainers Forum and within Trainers Forum, there's a whole bunch of other NGOs who are involved. And one of them is called BEST and they have this tradition called Cantos. And I I, I went to a Cantos this summer and a Cantos is, um, so during some kind of youth organizations, like event or whatever, you have a night of Cantos, which means to, to sing in Latin. Uh, and so it's, it's a singing event in which everybody has a book a manual of like all the different songs that you can be singing together. Um, all of the alcohol is then supplied. You have uh, different posters to kind of say, I want to be drinking wine or I want to be drinking beer or stuff like this. And it's a very, very heavily regulated structured event in which you then have the master of ceremony who's at the front, um, who has a specific name in Latin. I can't remember what it is, but then they are there and they've got, got their like big stick that they're like banging there at the front. And if you want to talk, you need to ask permission and you need to ask permission in Latin and then they need to give you permission. If they do not give you permission, you are not allowed to talk. If you do talk out of line, then you have to drink. 
and then etc and then if you if you make a mistake again then you are brought into the center and then the master ceremony would give you some kind of punishment um and then if it goes further then you get even like the punishments just go like deeper and deeper and deeper and worse and worse and worse and worse and if you want to go to the toilet you have to ask permission in latin and you will probably be denied permission for a while uh it's just like everything like very very and then every, it just gets absolutely completely shit faced um people singing in like some 90 songs sometimes some old latin shit some it just gets into this like very rowdy singy kind of thing in which <laughs> of course would never take place in eyp but yeah like that's that's the core cool part of lots of european uh ngos i mean technically you have the the pg version of this in the city that was done in lapland as a session but that's more like a dinner with like songs and such and drinking mm. um with less rules but uh, in, in dutch student culture we have this uh, but I don't like to go to it because, you know, it's not as Latin, so leave the elitism at home. Uh, but you do have <laughs> the songs and the books and, like, the the tasks and such and the persons that lead the contest. And, uh, yeah, I don't usually go. I do like hearing the stories, though, because some of my friends went. And I think the Student Association did the dumbest thing in years. They had the contest on a boat. Like, imagine really drunk no, people on, on a boat. boat. My friend broke his nose because he like slipped on like some like wet piece of boat and just fell flat on his face. And he didn't notice because he was so drunk until the next morning. So, uh, yeah, I'm never going again. <laughs> Shit, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, though, like how suddenly it, this, this would absolutely not be OK in the EYP scenario these days. But it's OK <laughs> for a university to do. What? Yeah. Well. Yeah, but universities do crazier things, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but like, no. uh, it's just an interesting like cultural thing. Like, how do we accept this in a university setting, but we do not accept this in an EYP setting? Not that I'm arguing that this should be accepted in an EYP setting. No, well, I would agree with the EYP setting, but I feel like yeah, it 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 takes a special kind of people to kind of all agree to do good things. And in university, I don't think you can create that crowd very easily. Yeah. But I think like that that kind of counters thing. In the, if somebody had brought that up in UIP a decade ago, yeah, it would have it could have easily become an official's tradition. I don't think there would have been a hesitation around that. These days, you bring that up, you're like, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> you know, the, the I guess on the one hand, well, within UIP itself, we are also an organization where most of our delegates are minors, and some of our officials are minors as well, in which like any other NGO that I'm a part of, I don't see minors anymore. Like that just doesn't happen. Like most of the stuff I'm in, like people are between 20 to 40 and like high twenties, uh, early thirties is the kind of normal age. So also, I guess there's a slight difference there as well. I only recently noticed how normal that is to me, like that you work with young people and actually give them responsibilities because I went to like a MUN I don't know, evening thing, just because someone else was going and I went with them. Uh, or like, was UN Youth and, and MUN together. I don't know, they had some like information evening thing of like what they were going to do this year. There was free pizza, you know, I mean. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, free pizza. Yeah. No, understandable. Figure with them. Yeah, someone else that I knew wanted to go. You <laughs> just phrased that as you went to steal pizza from MUN. Yeah, then yeah. It's okay. it was good pizza. <laughs> it was not even like Domino's or some shit. It was like actual pizza at like a pizza restaurant. 
So um, I I was bought <laughs> to go. And then, like, I, I was talking to some uh, like girl next to me, and she was, like, 15 or 16, and I was just talking, you know, what you want to do, blah, 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 in, in life, and whatever, having conversation. And then later, I was talking to some of the, like, people from MUN or, like, uh, UN Youth, and they were like, oh, well, like, she is kind of useless. We have to wait until she's, like, 18 or so to join us or to do actual things for us. And that, that was so surprising to me in a way. I'm like, well, it doesn't have to be the, the biggest thing, but we kind of build people up from wherever they come from. And so far, it's kind of working. But I mean, I guess we're kind of unique in that sense. I mean, it's definitely working. I was just talking to president of one of the stations that I went to. This is, is Yugosphere IF back in the day. And we had one of the chairpersons was uh, this Bosnian girl that was really young. Must have been like 15, 16, whereas the kind of average age of the chairs team was like probably above 20 at that point. And that was like that 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 Bosnian girl just fucking rocked it. Like everyone loved her. It was just like on point. That uh, they did a great job all around the board, and no one bat an eye at a fifteen-year-old doing doing the best fucking job. And it was like imagine the dele- delegates were. I think she was telling a story of the delegates being surprised when at some point. She really revealed how old she was. And it's like, this just normal for what we do in EYP is that we just see people for what they can do or what they could possibly do in the future and help them to get there. I mean, in a sense, to me, like, of course, now that you're older, you're like, oh, well, 16, 18, they're all young and stupid. Um, am I saying also still young and stupid? But, you know, in a sense, it does surprise you when you talk to those people and they're really, really good at what they do. And then at that point, I have no reason to be like, oh, well, you're too young in in years. Like, of course, you still have to be careful around them. You're not going to treat them like if they were old in all senses of a session, but definitely in just their work. You're just like, if you're good at what you do or if you want to get good at what you do, like, why not? And in a sense, yeah, but usually with those chairs, what happens is they don't tell the delegates how old they are and then it doesn't really matter. That's true, because then the age normally then becomes a perception it's not how old you look is after spending a bit of time with you and whatever position you have within the session and all of those things combined, then people kind of build an age profile based on that. Right. I mean, in a sense, I also don't like adding it into mix into the mix too much. Cause I feel like sometimes you meet someone and they're this age and then they're, you're not like, really, really, you know, like either yeah. I would have expected you to be much younger cause you're just all over the place or, I would have expected you to be much older because you've like been through all these things or have really cool stories and such. So in the end, like it kind of more matters what the content is and not really like the numbers. Uh, I was thinking about that the other day with um, uh, Joel. You know the the Exerbia episode, the Rememberer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this it's this short story um, in which I'm not going to kind of give too much information about, but within the universe that's built within the story uh the idea is that you know people are living about a thousand years um and then you have a different island for basically each century and so people who are let's say who are only between like 100 to 200 years old they tend to go on this one island together because they have the same kind of ideas and the way of living and the way that things that they want to do but then people who are more in their like 200 to 300 years they after they've gone through that they start to feel a different way and have a different perception uh, and wouldn't want to share space with those people too much so then they go to a different island and that island works different and then you kind of have all these islands that work differently 
And it's kind of like saying, you know, when you're 50 years old, you probably don't have much in common to have a chat with, with a seven-year-old, right? You're probably just like the way that we look at our kind of things almost in decades, they would look their things in, in centuries. Um, and I guess that's, it, when I was thinking back to that and thinking also like with the new IP and stuff, is that there are, I feel like that that is a kind of rule that works a bit, but doesn't at the same time of, it works a bit in the sense of when I'm thinking about now that I'm in other NGOs where I spend time with people, let's say more within my age bracket and stuff, the, after a certain time, I guess you can go through so many different life experiences that then you start to see life in a slightly different way, feel about it in a different way. So the type of conversations or the way you want to relate to people or to the world around you can be slightly different, but slightly more in common with people who have been through as many life experiences and stuff like this. But then at the same time, somebody can live many years without going through as many life experiences. So it's not necessarily the default number of seconds that you spend on this world that will kind of relate to what your, your experience has been and how you can relate that to what someone else has been through. And so in my mind, I start to also think about, well, when we go to like these kind of NGO stuff, so let's say within EYP, the idea is that we're now with people who are used to engaging in multicultural teams who are used to hearing other languages who are used to traveling to different countries who are used to and then you've got like all these different life experiences that you're starting to accumulate and you kind of know straight away whatever group you're in those people have had all of those different life experiences and so suddenly now you can start to relate and discuss and connect with people in a way that's more meaningful compared to if you now had to like sift from a random population and try to like tap into the people who you believe have had a certain number of life experiences that can be relatable to you or stuff like this. I always uh, like to think that EIP is the most wonderful example of selection bias. You uh, kind of use the power of this like one idea and group and then it kind of selects itself of people that really are attracted to this idea and group of values and that are not and then naturally over the years you kind of end up with this very similarly minded group of people I would say still of course different by other means but you kind of already have like this piece in common so when you come to an EIP session you kind of already have that bond so to say so it's quite nice whatever age you kind of connect to the same message yeah yeah and I think it brings an interesting question of, I've been thinking a lot recently about this, like connecting people, like where do you connect to people? How do you connect to people? And on what level do you do that? Of course, EYP is a bit crooked in our sense, because it just tends to be where we meet most people. Like if you go to a session, this is going to be a shit ton of people that you get to have some sort of connect connection to, if it's even on a superficial level, that you can then try to, bring further into like a meaningful personal connection. But would you guys say that then if we think about EYP from this uh, idea of, okay, we have a selection bias and we have similar life experiences. If we try to discard the amount of people we meet in EYP versus we meet in normal life, would you say that it's easier for you to create this kind of meaningful, deeper connections with EYPers because of this selection bias? Or is it just a numbers game? Mm. Talk statistics to me, baby. Yeah, sorry, I love this shit. This is my job, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think you could think of, like, if you just meet enough people through EIP and you don't meet very, like, a lot of new people in your regular life, then, yeah, of course, you could be like, oh, you know? If you do it the ratio, then it might add up. But I think, I don't know. 
I think definitely it's very easy to form maybe a more long-term friendship, but it's also aided by the format because you meet people kind of again over the years and so on, so on. So it's it's really hard to lose touch with people if they kind of stay in this community. You'll run into them one way or another. So that also adds to it. Mm. Hmm. I guess also because EYP isn't an individual experience in the sense that in order to get shit done, you need to rely on the people around you. Let's say if you're chairing a committee, you need the support from potentially your buddy group or your VP. You maybe need the relationships to be built between you and the delegates. You maybe need the organizers to kind of get things done certain on time to clear the logistics so you can actually provide the space for your delegates. You need the media team projects to be able to include your space, your delegates. So there's this constant, like the need to work with so many people around you. And you can't just be like, cool, I'm there, I'm doing my shit, and I'm just going to be doing this. But you constantly have to relate to the people around you, and things get fucked up very quickly. And then you have to work with people around you to then help solve those problems, and then to get through. And I guess we become quite in an emotionally vulnerable state in UIP sessions, in which it also provides the opportunity for people around us to support us. So maybe the kind of match of those things is is it's not just that we're in this place where we're meeting lots of people, but it's also a place where we need to collaborate and work with people and solve problems with people. And a lot of times we need to vent with people or have people like hold space for us. And maybe that's what some kind of recipe there that makes that for EYPers, a lot of our long-term friendships may actually come from the EYP scene. I feel like we kind of even go a step further. Like we don't also need to like break down those barriers to be supported, but we also need to break down those barriers to even just tolerate all these people being in your space all the time. Yeah. In a sense, like we, we actively work in team building to kind of break down those barriers. Cause you know, if you're going to be with the same people in your hostel at a place working at your evening program, kind of basically all day, like if you keep up those barriers, you're not gonna tolerate those people anymore. You kind of need to artificially make them really great friends to go through this experience where there's gonna be stress, but there's also just gonna be like a lack of personal space probably, or at least quiet time alone. So I think yeah. we we like it and we do it and it works very well for us. And in the end, it's something people take away the most maybe from sessions, but we also need it to survive uh, in a session. Yeah, I think long term also like. It, it, one important thing that I, I was thinking about recently when I was, again, thinking about my long-term close friends, it's not just like the kind of connections that we build up instantly in, in the session, but the people that I, I've kept around me and I've kept touch with, it's also been easier compared to people in my close circle back at home, which is that it's long distance, basically you have less expectations of what your friendship is supposed to look like, what you're supposed to get out of it when you're only going to see each other maybe for a monthly Skype or well, people don't use Skype anymore. I'm old. <laughs> yeah. It's like MSN, MSN messenger, you know? <laughs> so it, it's, it's a different kind of friendship as well when you don't see each other as intensely as you might in a, if you lived in the same city, like if you live in the same city and you don't see someone for half a year, you're going to feel like it has some sort of message for your friendship. You might not feel that way, but you might also feel that, okay, maybe this means something for how much we want to see each other. But if you don't 
travel five to twelve hours to see someone or have a year, that's kind of that's a different stake there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And there's a um, there's a really cool episode in uh, of uh, Kirkusart that was uh, released, I think, about two months ago on friendship. And within that episode, they really, you know, one of the things they really do focus into is that friendship is all about spending spending time that you don't necessarily have to or spending like long periods of time with other people in which certain things can start to spring up uh, more naturally between you but then it's also about nurturing that friendship over a period of time and doing that work and that work versus the expectations so yeah i i really like what you said there job does really make sense in the, in the sense that within uip having that long distance element it decreases the expectations of how much work needs to go into that and we kind of have this idea that you know i can just put this down and then pick it up two years later and then we can just carry on as we were whereas in day-to-day friendships that's a bit more difficult this is an interesting question then like should we decrease the expectations of our kind of day-to-day connections as well to be more suitable for uh, maintaining those connections would that be a positive thing for us long term or is it something that we just need different things for different different friends i think it really depends on the context of the friendship right and like also what you do when you are together because maybe this eip friendship is kind of like this so on the one end you don't see each other a lot so that's like scale is very low but when you see each other, I feel like you share a lot of time together because you're probably a guest with them or they are a guest with you or you go somewhere together. And there's already kind of these barriers are already done because you have established maybe at a session this dynamic that it's kind of a judgment-free sharing venting zone. Or at least that's kind of usually how you start in a buddy group. Like there's not a lot of boundaries, I feel like, in EIP session, uh, friendship yet. Where, for example, maybe you see someone every day, but they're kind of just, you know, your university friends. You see them at university, you kind of talk about the day-to-day things uh, with the notions of your daily life together, like the context. So, oh, this is cool. This is lame. You know, uh, this is things we talk about. This is things we don't talk about. So you have a lot more context. So that is, in a sense, like the scale is very high. But what you discuss together is not that much. So I don't know if I have some of my friends that I have now that I see a lot. And, you know, you're there, they're my friends. I care for them. But I don't know if I would talk to them about a lot of things. If you try to see them less, I don't know if it would increase the content, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that either it... Are you saying that it created this sort of a connection where you don't talk about this thing? No, like a lot of very deep... Well, I'm paraphrasing as deep things because of the people you are and the way you combine together or because of the framework where your friendship was created which one would you say that it is and it can be different for different connections of course but how would you understand it then i think the framework kind of matters in that sense i think of course if you know someone for like any amount of very long time that usually kind of fades away like it doesn't really matter where you met at some point you just kind of have this connection that carries on and on and kind of grows but a lot of friends don't really make it there into like your, you know, best friends for years and years circle. And I think, yeah, for the daily friends, you kind of meet them in a daily setting. And there's, you know, as long as you see them, there's no real expectations for what you talk about. It's just more of like, oh, let's grab a beer after work or so, you know. And there's no like pressure on that to talk about anything crazy. 
because you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm just enjoying my time, you know, with some friends, whatever. But I think with an EIP, you kind of start in a really, like, incubator, if that makes sense. Like, you kind of do a lot of crazy things together. You go through kind of a high-stress experience. And then you also travel, as you say, maybe quite far to meet them. Then there's kind of more of a setting, okay, let's now get into the real shit. <laughs> so in that sense, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a bit of the interplay between the framework in which you create the friendship and the values that are established, and then what you guys mentioned with the format of a long-distance or short-distance friendship. Or do you disagree? Also uh, possible, of course. I think that's a very fair point. I'm mostly th- thinking right now, it's like, do the, the, between people, it probably also differs a lot, like what they need, what you want and need out of a relationship with or a friendship with someone what it actually is there because i imagine there's a lot of people that would prefer or at least from their experience prefer to keep it at a more superficial everyday level whereas me personally i don't feel like i get that much out of them i don't know if that's something that was shaped in through to the experiences that i've had with people over years but i or maybe it's just my neuroatypicality but i i just don't see that much value in sharing like a beer with someone without going into th- talking about some interesting shit that goes down like even my my friends that I meet on a well I don't meet anyone on a daily basis anymore but if that that I have back at home that I meet more regularly even though them I tend to share this kind of deeper things that are happening in my life that are causing, provoking a lot of thoughts in me and emotions. And if that's something that's just, I need more than the average person versus someone might not need that at all. That's that's an interesting, that would be interesting to get some more statistics on. (laughs) So then Joel, based on that, which one of those two do you think EYP promotes more not saying that uip is behind one and says one is better but more the space that we create in uip do you feel that it more creates a space for more of this deeper stronger kind of connections and deeper chats or more space for the superficial spaces i think uip is definitely a mix that's impossible to, like because we tend to be so deeply engaged with what we do it can really go either way in what you need. Like, I don't think we can, like, of course, EYP does uh, facilitate this deeper kind of connection more than whatever your random engagement where you normally meet people. But it also promotes this sort of, let's talk about EYP, which tends to be a lot of fun, but very also superficial at times. Uh, There's a lot of people that I meet over over that the years that I've met through EYP and then catch up with them and it tends to be reminiscing about old times and talking about mm. EYP on a more surface level, uh, but not go into the kind of emotions that any of it provokes. I guess it's even like in this podcast, right? Our podcast is literally called Tales from Sessions. So the expectation is that we're here to talk about tales from different sessions, but sort of stories from EYP's events. But instead, we tend to spend a lot of our time actually going a lot deeper and actually analyzing things and really kind of open up about how we felt on different spaces. And yeah, I guess we've kind of taken that space that's normally meant for those more shallow conversations and kind of flipped it. Yeah, it's interesting how it developed over time. 
Yeah. I am noticing that even at sessions, I kind of get bored of the EIP talk already. Which is, yeah, again, I feel so stupid now. Like, usually I'm like, oh my god, I've been here for such a long time. And then now I'm like, oh no, I've been here for three seconds in EIP compared to you guys. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, recently, like, also at sessions, I was like, you used to love talking about EIP and, you know, you had these big ideas of how things could be and big visions, and it was all the rage. And I felt myself after COVID having my own IS, kind of like, none of it matters. I don't know. None of, like, I don't know. It's really shit for an editor to say because you're supposed to be here. You know? But I was like, none, none of this really matters to me. I care about how the people will, you know, feel going through this experience or feel in certain spaces or in media teams, of course, feel in relationship to their work and their team and more about, yeah, building these connections or finding other people that want to talk about more of the yeah, concepts behind things than just, oh, well, in EIP we do this or I want my team to be structured like this or so. But yeah, I don't know. That's also kind of my post-COVID nihilism topic. It sounds very um, Attack on Titan, um, inevitability, but then just each layer kind of revealing what's actually happening in the background, which is different to what you thought, and then another layer revealing what's actually happening in the background. But then the further back you go, the more you realize it's just all fucked. (laughs) There's nothing you can do. (laughs) The back layer of it is just a bunch of kids thinking that they know what to do and then feeling like they have power and then not knowing what to do with that. Yep. Uh, I mean, you already stretch it, because I feel like if you catch them at 16, you know? At 16, you finally discovered the world is actually fucked and people don't know shit about what life is and why we're all here. So then you're like, okay, I need to fill this void in myself. And then you find EIP. So you fill, you shove EIP into this void of like, no, there's a purpose to things and these people are nice. Uh, and then at least you extend it for like a good five, six years before you discover that EIP is also the, the same mess that you just came from. Yep. You, you gain Beautiful some time cycle. to get older and wiser and deal with things. And that's why you have the different islands for the different people who live in different centuries, you know? Uh, that, that's basically just a nice saying to say, I joined the bitter old lady brigade. <laughs> yes, literally. Yeah. I think it was my 18th birthday. My friends gave me a grumpy old men's club uh, fridge <laughs> magnet. <laughs> Founding member. I, I cannot understand why, Joe. <laughs> For the life of me. <laughs> Still on my fridge, you know. You must have been rays of sunshine back then. Ten years later, still on my fridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But oh well, we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we'll do about it. At this point, I'm just trying to appreciate what went well, <laughs> and the yeah. session, and the people, and the fact that I think my team was quite isolated from a lot of the bullshit because we took it on as the editorial team, kind of as a gatekeeper for them. So we just tried to solve everything, kind of like you do for delegates as a chair in the background. And I think, yeah, they had a really good time together. They didn't really encounter any of the bullshit. And in the end, they were really close as a team and they made some things they were very proud of. So I'm trying to just appreciate the good things. I, I had this quote um, when thinking about like generations and, and how, how we kind of like look forward and look backwards and that. And it, it kind of really hit me. And it was something around every generation sees the generation before them as being stuck in their ways, as themselves being progressive. But then the generation after them being too adventurous and they and we are the wise ones so we see ourselves as being wiser than the generation after us 
but more progressive than the generation before us. And like you take any generation and they will say the same things that they are wiser than the generation after them, but they are more progressive than the generation before them. They are always at that sweet spot. And I feel like in UIP, that's also a similar thing <laughs> where we kind of like look at the stuff here and we're like, we, we take a look at what happened beforehand and we're like, oh my God, that is so fucked up. How on earth could that be that way? You know, we are, they were so much stuck in their ways with that. Now that we've changed everything and things are so much better and we created all these safe spaces and people can actually connect with each other in an honest way and all this stuff. And then at the same time, we start to look forwards and seeing like all the new stuff people are doing. And we're like, no, no, we're so much wiser than that. They, 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 they'll understand one day. <laughs> yeah, which is also interesting when we look at the EYP from like a governance structure point of view, because a lot of the people that are, it's, it's kind of like democracy in general. Like a lot of the people that are really high up the chain are going to be really old, really the previous generation. And because in the AYP, the generations move so fast that the people tend to be like five previous generations after the people that that are currently uh, active or starting in the organization. And we have these people like, I don't know, let's say Manolescu, who influenced the organization a lot, that was a really... That 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 was active way after her generation was kind of the current one, and then it's interesting to look at it from this perspective of, yeah, there's there's new people there, there we're wiser than them, but we're kind of still doing a lot of uh, changes for the what the organization is and how it's structured and how it works. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting how that will go from now, honestly. Because I already feel, at least at, at this session, like it's supposed to be, you know, the highest level session. So you usually experience a lot of those layers there that you have at the top, you know. Technically, not really what happened, but the people that are old and almost ready to quit, so to speak. And then you have trickling down through the team, maybe the people doing their first IS, you know, that kind of came out fresh off the boat into bigger sessions. And it's going to be really interesting to see how we'll go from now, because there's kind of this gap of the of the like real life online session world. And what may have happened, or at least from this experience, is that what you usually have with the generations, it's kind of like a rooftop. You know, you have the first uh, tile and it overlaps a little bit with the second tile. So the generations always pass on some kind of values and standards to the next one. And then they approve a bit and then they pass it on and, and so forth. And maybe with this gap, you kind of see a little bit of like, they do a lot of new things, but they may have not had those values passed on to them as much from the previous generation. And I'm not saying necessarily this is bad, because of course, if you start clean, they might have some new ideas. But I am a bit interesting to see how they make EIP after us, in a sense, like how they how they start kind of from scratch a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the valuable things that's come to me over the years is that I doesn't really matter anymore like i i used to have really strong feelings about that like oh what's eyp gonna look like in 10 years but at this point it's like yeah it's i'm, I'm not gonna be there I, it didn't look my way 10 years before me it's not gonna look my way 10 years after me i'm not nowhere better to say what it should look like than the people that are gonna be at starting in five years that's something that's gonna come to me over time yeah, fair 
I think it's kind of it's more now that there's a little bit of this rift between the oldies and the youngies. But when the young ones take over, I think it will kind of go back to this homogenous vibe of this is what EIP is now. Um, and I'm still curious what is going to happen. Not because uh, I really care that much. At some point, you're going to move into being a real life person that doesn't do all this shit anymore, maybe. Or does other NGOs, I guess. Yeah. But it is fun, you know, if you're like the little grandmas on the porch that watch like all the gossip in town and the dumpster fires, that's going to be me. I'm just sitting there, you know, seeing what the, the Gen Z's make of it, laughing. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, who knows? Maybe I'll come back when I, later in the IP and then still hang around for another, what is it, uh, uh, 10 more years. Inspire to be Jeroen. <laughs> we should all aspire to be a bit of Jeroen. <laughs> I'm not going to say which bit, but... My hair cleared. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. The hair definitely helps. Creativity is also there, you know. I um I had a thought that when we kind of started this podcast, you know, we were we brought on people like Maria Manlesco, Chris Trip, and we, we, we started to, you know, even people that were like leaving EYP or who were dinosaurs when I joined. Um <laughs> Like those, those, what we kind of started with those conversations, and and as we started, you know, I hadn't done a UIP session for a little while either, and then as we have kind of been continuing, and for the first bulk, we will it was mainly talking with people who had stopped UIP and who hadn't done UIP for many years, and it's only I feel like more recently now that we're actually talking to people who kind of do still do UIP, and. In my mind, I kind of find it funny of trying to relate to like how things are, because when I talk about how things are, I think about how things were in my last few or my last couple of years in UIP. And I guess that's kind of cemented in my mind of how things are. And I, I feel like that this is something that's like really re recurrent. And I was having a chat with another friend about this, about like education systems that in our minds, you know, when I think about how primary school is, I think about how it was when I was there. And we still have, I still have this feeling that it's going to be this way. But then I went back as a mentor and kind of did a bit of work and I saw, oh my God, this is completely different. But then I saw it as it was 10 years ago. And I now in my mind, I kind of still see it today as how it was 10 years ago. And I still think it's that way, but I have no idea how it is today. So I do kind of find it funny how, let's say some of us dinosaurs who kind of sit here and believe we're all wise and talking about how EYP currently is and things that need to change. And we have no fucking idea about how no, it actually is or what's know actually what's happening, happening now. now. I just went to one big session. Okay, my free days for the whole year on my job are gone. Um, this was it for me. You know, that's how it goes now. Adult life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, although I do find it a really, really <laughs> make conflicting thing in general. Like, what is EYP? Because we're so event based, and if we try to look at it from that perspective like how what would you need to do to know what current eyp is if let's say nathan doing a session in 2019 2018 is too far to know what this that the organization is now like how many events do you need to do a year is it one is it two is it six uh, I definitely feel like the strongest opinions and the be best understanding I had of EYP and the roles that I was performing in were when I was doing it the most, when it was something I was reiterating every couple of months, which if we look from an outside of EYP perspective, we don't do something 
every couple of months it's gonna start to fade away most likely i'm not really clear with the kind of uh science here and like uh learning things and remembering things uh, do correct me if you have some more in-depth knowledge nathan but it's it's an interesting question of i am wrong good excellent yeah. you're wrong no I, I i do agree a bit but i think it kind of depends on the the size of the events as well like i think i started out a lot in EIP when I had a gap year after high school and then you're free to go wherever so of course you go to so many sessions uh, but I don't think I had a great understanding of what EIP was like I was just participating you know doing my thing being an official having no worries yet so that would kind of contradict it a little bit uh, but now this year then I just did two very huge events but then you're kind of constantly thinking especially if you go a bit more up the chain about what an event is and how you shape it. And then I think I got a lot more of that understanding in there. Yet it's only technically two events, they're just very large. Yeah, but, but then again, if you think of, let's say how many events we do in EYP per year, what I think it's around the 500 mark, or is it up to the thousand? It, it's around that kind of number, right? It's, it's a huge number of events. And of these largest events, so let's say ISs take up three out of those. So I guess they don't represent what EYP is or what actually happens out there. I, th I feel like the most representative one would be either a regional or a national session, because that is what the most of EYP is out there. Like the most amount of people, the most amount of time, the most amount of touchpoint experience of EYP are those ones. So if, if I was to kind of say like, what would show me what EYP is, it would be more of those smaller sessions. Uh, I, I'm also biased because I, I, I take a, any opportunity to shit on ISs as, as I can. I was kind of like, after doing my first one, like as an official, I was like, yeah, never again. And then I was just kind of like forced to, or like really pushed to go back into one after the other. And then every single time I was like, no, this is it. No, this yeah, is sorry, it. No, I don't know if I will ever, ever, ever do it again. <laughs> my God. Yeah, I think it depends. I think maybe the regionals and the nationals are kind of what EIP is. And then the ISs are what a lot of people doctor what EIP should be, but then I feel like you kind of lose a lot of the EIP in the doctoring and the shaping. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And in the bureaucracy and having to make sure that the GB and IO and board are fine every single time you take a shit, you know, like making sure that everyone's on the same page at every single step of the time. And then while that's happening, it kind of, I feel it becomes almost this power play between, oh, I, my NC needs to be represented here. So let's push down on the shit that's completely meaningless, but we're going to do this anyway, because, you know, we need this representation. This is what we're talking about. And then you have the GB who's like, you know, our policies need to be listened to. And IS is the time that sessions have to follow our policies. So you need to make sure that this and the IO is like, hey, we're the ones paying for this shit. <laughs> like, we need a say in this, and you need to make sure you're doing things this way. And then you there on the board are like, you know, this is meant to be our session. We're meant to be, like, putting our fingerprint on the stuff and getting things a certain way. And, yeah, I feel it almost becomes this, like, squabble between so many different powers at play that everyone feels like this is their opportunity. I think it's 100% a power play, but I don't think people participate in ISs in any higher level pos like position if they don't have a power kink like if you're on the NC board that's just guaranteed like don't even <laughs> think about it but I think all the other people in the sense you do want to be there to have your session and such and especially I don't know I don't want to shit on presidents but it happens a lot for presidents like oh, mm -hmm. my big my yes and then it's gonna be that year and it's mine session you know 
I listened yeah. to your ultimate uh, leader episode thing, that kind of thing. You're like, I am boss of the session. This is my way to go. And uh, I don't know, you leave EIP dramatically or so. I don't know. I think in a sense, we definitely suffered from some of this. I think for personal expectations, it just helped that we didn't really care as much about legacy or putting our own like fingerprint on the IS. Uh, this is me and Anait, of course, we were co-editing, so, you know, I'm already co-editing, like, I'm trying to water down how much I like the power in this episode. Um, nice. <laughs> but uh, basically, I think we kind of said to each other, like, let's just do it and ho- make sure people have a good time and make sure they want to edit sessions again so that there's some people in EIP Media left. That was, like, the only expectation we had, and we did that. So that's kind of, I think, what helped us in the end a lot, even though we're still struggled with many of these big players that are involved in ISs. I think it would have been a lot worse if we're like, oh, but we want this and this and this, and it's going to be, you know, on us as editors, or it's going to be a perfect session. I think a lot of editors do it this way, or at least I was uh, a media team member under Ali. So, (laughs) you know, Uh, but I think that that helped us in the end. Yeah. Radical suggestion. We should stop doing ISs altogether. Just no more, not, not a single IS more. Stop at one hundred. It's a good number. It's it, it, that that there's a yeah, there's a bunch of issues behind that. Because the thing is, is that ISs aren't about the experience of going to an IS. Um, in the fundamental, ISs are about it's the biggest fundraising opportunity for the IO. Um, this is where they get to kind of show to all their sponsors, and they get to kind of say, you know, this is our flagship thing, and that's where a lot of the grants and a lot of the reputation and the way they manage to kind of get in bed with the European Parliament and all of this stuff that is through the ISs. Um, outside of that, it's also a huge marketing event for. Uh, many countries selection nationals and regionals to kind of say you know we're doing all of this in order to select who gets to go to this international session and so they you know that kind of thing kind of makes it into some kind of competition vibe for some countries not every country does it that way but for some countries that's what then actually motivates teachers to organize for their kids their pupils and stuff to come together in order for the school to have a certain reputation to say we were selected for this international session and all this stuff so it's kind of so far ingrained into all of the funding and motivational strategies on every level that it's kind of just there yeah but if a lot of the funding goes to organizing the ISs anyways and arranging the kind of structure to keep those employees the paid that to have to work with the ISs, and we could just change, let's say, the selection to be instead of selecting for ISs, we select for other nationals or international forums, and we could just remove that. Would DYP just be better off without this kind of uh, marketing thing and this kind of competition for the delegates of course i understand from the teacher and school uh, perspective but i'd argue that it would still be better if we tried to recruit people to the organization not based on the kind of hierarchical let's compete for something but for what the web actually stands for yeah i see so, so you're saying like to, to do more of a kind of uh i guess to switch up so the io focuses more on building an if budget and if support of but then IF will come become an IS at this point. It's <laughs> not what I'm saying. No, but because if you're then saying that, uh, you know, the selection international will then kind of take you to some kind of an international thing, then I guess 
what one kind of impact of looking at it this way is saying that it's removing this elitist point of view of saying these three sessions have priority and more saying that any country can carry on organizing their ifs like they normally do and do that on a more scalable way where you can just do an if of 150 people you don't have to have 300 people it doesn't have to be a certain amount of dates and all of this kind of stuff but the io can be there to support to help you organize slightly larger events than what your ncs used to i mean why why does the io need to support the international events at all like sure money and logistics they're good for that stuff like it's not that for example in yerevan uh, we had marilu who was helping a lot in in the funding strategy in the organization part and like without that support that 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 event wouldn't have happened It just yeah, I think it depends. Like, if you trust them, if they give you money to not be as involved, because I think that's kind of the whole deal with the IS. Like, you get the support, you get the money, but then you get them to be involved. But yeah, I think it also just what we talked about a bit. It's it's a networking and you know PR opportunity for the network, which we we noticed as well. Like, it's also literally just to bring out rich people and show them like, oh look at these funny little kids dance for money, type of thing, uh, which they need. Um, which supports us all, I guess. So it, it's also a little bit of like a, a big uh, stage and show and such for uh, the whole map. And that's kind of, you know, you, you give it up for the greater good type of thing currently. I mean, if you took a step back and told that as a story of saying, okay, look, look, look at um, General Assembly. That's when we kind of bring in a lot of these guests and stuff to to dance for the money, is that we dress them up in all cute little suits, these miners. We put them on a stage and we get them to dance for, for the money. You know, that's true. It does also not sound literal creepy sense. whatsoever. In literal sense, because they love Euro concert. Uh, yes. I've talked to Ilya a fair bit. And apparently the, the the people come always to Euro concert. And it it's hilarious because they're so racist. And it's really funny because they're just like, oh, my God, how cultural. Here's an Armenian dancing. I've never seen that before. That is so diverse and ethnic. And all these weird shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like, oh. that's not literally what they said. But, like, they say the weirdest of things, even worse. Um, and they're just like, oh. You know, experiencing culture. And it's, it's also these, like, you know, people that are very white old men from Germany. So it's even funnier because they just have a terrible accent in English and they just talk in German half of the time. And yeah, it was it was hilarious. At least at that point, you kind of just in, enjoy the horrid, you know, rottenness of the situation. And you just lean back because <laughs> you can't do shit about it. In, uh, in, in 2013, I actually had a funny story about uh insulting and insulting one of these guests who came to Euroconcert uh quite blatantly um and i didn't realize until afterwards so it was it says it was Euroconcert of the tbilisi is in georgia 2013 and i was on the chess team and i thought you know what i wanna uh, i was getting into spoken word poetry and i was writing some of my own stuff but i was still i wasn't at that level of confidence where i would ever perform my own stuff but I like to perform other people's stuff. So I thought, oh, that way I can like channel their energy and like share their message this way. So I, I did a piece by Guante called um, 10, 10 Responses to the Phrase Man Up. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful feminist piece. And I thought, you know what, let's do this one. I really love it. And so I kind of got up there and we're in this 
beautiful, beautiful, you know, as you do with Euro concerts and ISIS, you get the most amazing venues. I think it's like some kind of opera house kind of style thing, this huge kind of space we had. You go on there, but the thing is when you go on the stage, you look at the audience and you can't see anyone. It's all black because the light is directly on you. And the thing is, the um, I, you need context for this poem. So I kind of gave the context and the context is there was this like Budweiser, whatever American beer kind of advert kind of thing, Bud Light thing, where you would have the, this chain chain of adverts in which you'd always have a guy either in skinny jeans or with a man bag or something like that, something slightly effeminate. And then uh, they would order any random like light beer. And then the bartender would always insult them and say, uh, oh, yeah, I guess you don't want a Bud Light. You want any random beer because you're not a man enough to drink it because you're slightly effeminate. And yeah, it was a sort of like horrible chain of adverts that they released. Um, so I kind of gave all of this context and I said, this is um, this spoken by a poet called uh, Guante. This is his poem as a response to it called 10 phrases to the, to the um, no, so 10 responses to the phrase man up. Uh, and then I kind of stopped and I go, one. And then how the poem starts is fuck you. Two, and it kind of moves on. But the thing is, I went through the context. I said one, I took a pause and I didn't realize at that moment, I think it was the minister of culture for Georgia who came in, who then sat down on the front row next to the, the head of the Schwarzkopf Foundation. Um, and of course, I can't see anything. I don't know this. And I just kind of go one, and I take that pause. That person comes in, sits down on the middle of the front row, and then I turn exactly to where that person sat, point my finger, just shout, fuck you. <laughs> Two, and then I continue with the poem, and they were just there like, what the? And then the, the, the head of Shoshka Foundation was next to them, just like laughing. <laughs> but like, it's okay, it's okay. I'll, I'll, I'll explain to you. And like, how to like give the context and explain. <laughs> Because you have this like minister who's just like come in, sat down, and been shouted "fuck you" to their face, <laughs> and they're like, "shit, I'm sorry, I'm late, but like, come on." <laughs> but I had no idea. And then uh, during like the uh, drinks and reception afterwards, um, Martin uh, is his name Martin? No, I think it's. I don't know. Is it, is it the old one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With with, with the hair. Oh, yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Um, yeah, and he 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 came up to me, and we we're having a chat during drinks afterwards, and he was like, "Okay, so this is what." And then he gave me the rundown of what happened. And I was like, "No," <laughs> so yeah, but they're okay now. I was like, okay, so yeah, yeah, so sometimes you know these guests they come in to watch the kids dance and throw their money at them, but then sometimes they leave in fully insulted as well. So you know, yeah, maybe, maybe a question uh, to follow up on this because we have had a situation. Did you guys have to go for lunch with them? Uh, no. Well, we for Yerevan one, we did lunch with like ambassadors and embassies and stuff like that. But for that one, we didn't have to. What? What you mean, like the performers to go out and have food with them? No, no, the the leadership and and such. Oh, for that I has no, no. The only yes, time in which I had to do that was a little bit in Yerevan, but. Yeah, apparently it's it's now a common practice for the leadership to go on a leadership lunch with the sponsors and oh boy did we have a good time uh, Ooh, me and please Anna tell me went. that Jeroen was there please tell no, me that Jeroen did, was yeah, there Jeroen didn't, didn't <laughs> come because we asked, if he, we, we asked if he could come uh, because he was it's just me and Anait and then he was our EA that's it so we were like can can he just join but then Sander was like, oh, then I want my whole flat board to be there. 
And I was like, okay, never mind. But yeah, uh, we went there. It was uh, the president, the editors, uh, the HOs, and then uh, the safe persons when were invited to this lunch. And uh, Ilya uh, presented it to us as like, oh, well, it's just a thank you for you and your hard work. We we're like, okay, I guess so, you know, take us out for lunch, why don't you? Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, there'll be some sponsors, you know, whatever. Maybe you can have a chat with them about uh, this, this session and such. And then uh, it turns out we go to uh, to lunch with Mr. Schwarzkopf, um, as, as we now refer to him. Uh, but uh, luckily, he was uh, all kinds of things, including sexist. So he didn't talk to us much, which is the greatest thing of this lunch. Because uh, he just kept uh, talking to Sander, who was uh, like, just fuck. Because the other, no one else is at the table except maybe Njol. Uh, but Njol is like <laughs> not a straight man, and he just like he tried to make Mr. Shrachkov some jokes about typical Norwegian stereotypes, and then Njol just stopped talking to him. So it was just only Sander, only option left for him, right? Uh, and he was just like Mr. President, just every time he talked to Sander, like no, and just patting him on the shoulder and like let's pick a wine, for example, for the for the lunch. And I was I was laughing so hard on the inside because I was sitting in front of Sander and Sander is also Dutch and I know him. Uh, maybe you guys know him. And he was just looking at me in panic. He was just looking at me and uh, like in Dutch said to me, I don't know anything about wine. And this is also quite funny because Anaid also speaks Dutch. So she was just following this whole thing. And then uh, basically I tried to talk to the to Mr. Schwarzkopf like, oh, maybe we should pick this one and such for such reason. Did not listen to me. And then I looked at Sander and Sander like, maybe we should pick this one. He's like, yes, let's order two bottles. So it was so fun. We were just at some point, this point, we were just like giving up. It was so fun. But it got even worse. So we tried to have some polite conversation and such. But he kept just saying things like, oh, it's so impressive that countries like Armenia can also organize an IS and, and things. And meanwhile, Anaid sitting there from Armenia, from Yerevan session. But uh, yeah, like we were just, you know, tolerating it. And at some point, uh, Ilya tries to bring the conversation to us for some reason of like, oh, we're so grateful for these people. For example, uh, Leo and Anaid, they, they uh, do this and this and this. This is our role at the session. They're the editors. Uh, how great that we have this exposure for us, blah, blah, blah. And they're also working with the Schwarzkopf uh, to tag and such, like a little story. And then he just looks over at us and he's like, oh, you guys are so funny together. The blood and the beige. Because Anaid is like, Caucasian looking, and I was like, blonde hair. <laughs> my white t-shirt or something. It was really bad, and we were just sitting there like, excuse me. And then Ilya tried to change the topic, but then, yeah, for the rest of the session, we were just joking to each other that we are now the black and the beige. So, yeah, our, our experience with these sponsors was amazing. <laughs> After we were so traumatized that we went shopping. <laughs> I mean, I know that EYP has some questionable sponsors, but yeah, turns out it's off the chain as well. Hello, Mr. Yeah. Swastikov, if you ever hear this episode. Uh... I mean, uh, we, we, we had uh, quite a lot of fun in her closing speech. Uh, Anaid said uh, some things because uh, she was doing it. I was just uh, standing there with the team because uh, I did opening ceremony and she's just like, oh, you're just the structure to my chaos. You are the beige to my black. And we just, everyone just laughed in the media team because they all heard this story and all the delegates were like, <laughs> like in the end, we, we, we had much fun about this. <laughs> it's, it's so messed up because it's like this kind of structural thing. It's, it's like, how do you then act upon it? Because then that's the person who's 
who if we disappoint like our funding gets cut off on the international level and then suddenly it's like well the you know ex expressing things that we do not tolerate that we are completely against and yet at the same time from him because the old white man has money it's okay yeah, yeah i don't know after that we just uh laughed and smiled a bit and it was uh, on the end of the table because it was just me and sander and then him and Ilya, and then and it was on the other side of me so she just was like i'm just gonna eat my expensive food because it was expensive as fuck and then i just uh tried to laugh it off and say some german words because that's the only time he actually listened to me I was like ha 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 yes that is german yeah. But the uh, me me and Sander and Anait are just looking at each other. He he uh, on other great things. He also was talking to Sander the whole time about what he was going to say in his speech in the European Parliament because uh, GA was in the European Parliament. And uh yeah, of course everyone was like oh Belgium. So he's just like, well, 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 Mr. President, you know. So we sing the European anthem on the train. We sing the European anthem in the parliament and like Sander's just sitting there like, sure. You know, we're not going to do it, but, you know, like he's just agreeing with him. And then he's like, you know, you're going to speech, right? In the European Parliament to welcome everyone. He's like, oh, I might say, you know, a few words as, as, the, as the chairman of the board. And he's like, uh, okay, you should uh, say this and this, like uh, having all these suggestions at some point. He's just like, oh, yeah, just throw them off. Maybe just say something stupid, right? Because uh, this is your last session. Yeah, maybe you can say something pro-Russia. What? Oh, was just like, no fuck that <laughs> guy no and then sander was just like well i don't think that would be very appropriate for the ukrainian delegation <laughs> and then, then he's just just like oh yeah well whatever just just something to mess mess with their heads and then he continued but we were just like oh wow he did not just say oh. yeah 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 so sorry yeah, that, I, that's I... just our our weird sponsor experience I'm gonna reiterate my point on let's just stop doing ISs. We don't need this shit in our lives. No, but we yeah. clearly need to convince this very smart man that we need his money. Yeah. Brought to you by <laughs> the Swartgold <laughs> Foundation. <laughs> I'm trying to get them to sponsor the episode. <laughs> uh, it could just be a roast. But yeah, then we went to this local uh, shopping court. Like, a Skortrijk is three houses and a road. It's not even a big town. So there was, like, a really small shop of, like, local clothes. And then we just ma bought matching GI outfits. And we were like, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> Life is acceptable now. <laughs> sure. My sword felt, sorry. Uh, I think we... <laughs> <laughs> Of course, Joel, randomly during the podcast, oh, sorry, my sword fell. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>